Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So, good afternoon and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre. So, I think we're on episode 194 of Love the Words and you will always be able to play these programmes back on the website but also on uh, on the podcast so you can access that in all the usual ways. Um, we've got two guests today and I'll tell you about them in a minute but before we get started I'm going to trail some events that are coming our way and your way very soon. Um, Writing on Air, our four-day festival of literature on the radio happens at the end of November. We've got some fantastic events uh, every night but also all through the day November the 23rd till November the 27th, including on the first night and to open the festival, a night with People Tree Press, who are our resident publisher at the moment. Um, and we've got some events with, uh, with them, but also um, featuring Jeremy Pointing, who is their founder and managing editor. But also we've got um, a gig coming up on the 29th of October. Leila Josephine, she's a fantastic poet from Scotland, and she's coming to do a gig on the 29th. That's a Friday night, but also earlier on that... Uh, sorry, it's Saturday, actually. Earlier on in the afternoon at 4 o'clock... She's doing a workshop, which is all about misfires in writing, about creative misfires and how we can use those, how we should not discard what we might, what we might deem to be failed writing, but use it. So that's Leila Josephine. And then on 10th of December, we've got John Hegley returning to Chapel FM. That's really good news for us. And uh, uh, also he's doing a workshop the following morning. Uh, so he's performing on the Friday night of 9th of December and uh, he's doing his workshop on the 10th. So that's all coming up very soon. Please do go on the website, have a look and book tickets because it's great when people do turn up, but you can always tune in as well. So our first guest this afternoon... Um, is Marg Greenwood, who has a new book out called Return to Muck. <laughs> I should say, I don't know why I say that with a kind of cod northern accent, because it's nothing to do with the north of England. It's further north than that. So, Marg, hello. Hello. And I, I know this has been in, uh, you've been working on this for quite a few years, really, haven't you? Um, tell us what the book is, what it's about, and how it came to be. Well, the book is if you like, an account of um, my travels in quite a number of Scottish islands, usually the ones that are lesser known. I've, bon I've been to tons and tons of other islands as well, including Orkney and Shetland, and to the mainland as well. But over the last 20, 23 years, something like that, I've tended to, um, yeah, I've, I've tended to perhaps concentrate on the, maybe the smaller islands. And certainly when it came to writing the book, which I decided to do about five years ago, um, I thought that I would concentrate on just a few um, and, and go back to them in order to um, sort of gather more material to write the book. In, yeah, you might. I mean, it's very hard on the radio to uh, describe the, the look and the heft of a book, but it is a really beautiful book. It's got lots of blue sky on the front and <laughs> islands. It's called Return to Muck: A Journey Among Lesser Known Scottish Islands, and it's. Um, I mean, it's a it's a it's a big hefty book, and it's it's got beautiful beautiful photographs in it, and I think. Um, I mean, it's it just looks and feels great, and it's. It's kind of delightful, I would say, in the in the best sense, which is it's full of delight, Thank your de you. your delight in those places. So, how did you first discover those places? Well, probably round about nineteen ninety seven. Um, I have a friend in Leeds who um, had been in uh, two or three islands um, in Scotland. Um, and she uh, suggested that we go together for a few days to the island of Col. 
I think that was the very first island, but it's such a long time ago that I've, I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, we had such a good time. I felt safe, secure. I mean, obviously I was with her, so that was fine. But I felt that, yeah, I can do this alone. Um, on a smallish island, um, it's, it, you do feel safe, except physically maybe if you fall off a off a cliff that's no good but in t in terms of of um, nasty people you don't get them normally on a small island mm. um so um uh, so i've forgotten your question now no <laughs> i was just asking you how how you i mean because you must have been to other places what was it about these islands that I mean, that grabbed you really um well it's the wildlife, the views, the um, uh, the natural history. Um, in some cases, I got m more interested. I was never particularly interested in things like archaeology or or ancient stones or anything like that. But as as time went on, I started to um, get more an more of an interest in n not only what I was seeing and so on, but also in the people that I met, mm. and um, so uh, yeah, it just developed. And the reason I call the book "Return to Muck" is that Muck was one of the very first islands I went to on my own, and I had such a lovely welcome there by the bunkhouse manager, a lady called Rosie. I'm still very pally with her. And so that's over 20 years ago. And um, she she made me so welcome. Um, I uh, And there are only about 40 inhabitants of Muck anyway. It's a very small island. It's one of the small isles, mm. together with rum, canna and egg. And, and yet Muck isn't terribly well known. A lot of people have heard of rum Quite a number of people haven't heard of muck, <laughs> so um, yeah, it it was. It, it's almost as if rum, uh, sorry, muck became a second home for me, because I keep on going back. Well, can can I ask you something to go back to you, you what you said about you could do it alone? Yes. How, do you feel there's a difference between travelling on your own and travelling with other people or another person? Yes, there is an obvious sort of difference because when you're travelling with other people, you're, uh, well, most of the time you're in their company, so you get what they... I mean, there are some lovely advantages because you get their take on things. Like in June, I went with my partner back to Tyree and um, I say back to Tyree, I think I've been to Tyree three or four times now, and it it was good to go with him to to a place I'd never been to before, and to get his take on it. Mm. Um, however, um, I do love being on my own um, because you can do what you like. You can decide at the last minute to to go somewhere or to see somebody or to spend longer time than you would if if you had somebody who was chomping at the bit and this sort of thing. Um, so yes, it's lovely. And one of the things I do um, is I um, I try to spend the nights in a hostel or a bunkhouse, and that meets my needs for um, company because mm. I do need company as well. Mm. And I, I'm not a camper. Some people may want to camp. Some people may have a camper van. I've heard of a woman who sold up and bought a camper van and did all sorts of things. Um, I don't know how long she was away for, but there you go. I don't think I would do that. Perhaps a bit too lonely. But I mean, it, what's what's great, I think, about the book is that it's full of individual experiences in terms of you experiencing landscape, for instance, or yes. investigating history, but also there are some wonderful encounters with yes. characters or with children in schools that yes. you've worked with. And it's full of, it just, it's just full, as I say, of lots of zesty experiences mm. of that place. And I, I can't help but feel, I mean, I, I, I love travelling on my own. I don't often do it. But, um, but when I do, I, I, I just think your, your skin is a bit thinner, uh, you know, in terms of absorbing. I always feel very sensitised to new things. Whereas okay. when you're with somebody, you're kind of filtering it through their experience. But, yes. but let's, let's have something from the book, if yeah. you would. Well, I'm going to start with um, uh, just reading a poem um, from the first chapter, which is Muck, the Early Years. 
and um, I just love the sound. Um, I love sounds when they're not things like horrible drills outside and that sort of thing. But the sound of singing seals really, really gets me. And I've written this poem about singing seals because just on the north coast of Muck, there's a colony of seals, and if you're in luck, you hear them sing. Singing seals. Under the cliff, breakers crash. Shingle deafens as it's dragged. The deep bass of grinding, scouring, out of tune with cormorants and keening of kittiwakes. Herringulls screech, high-pitched, discordant. Their sullen faces mock. In a soft hiatus on the far rocks, I hear singing seals, choir boys humming in harmony and counterpoint under the cloud-bossed roof of the blue cathedral. I close my eyes and wait, wait, for the most precious moment, a chord of resolution. Lovely. Um, read us a bit from the actual narrative, because it'd be great yes. to give readers a sense of your very um, stripped-down but uh, kind of vivid prose style. Because I think what's, yeah. another nice thing about it is that it's, it's, it's not fussy in the sense of language. It's just very down-to-earth, isn't it? You just tell it as, it as it is, and I really like that. Oh, OK. Um that's put me on the spot a little bit, but uh, funnily enough, <laughs> uh, a friend of mine said to me that um, reading the book sounds like me talking. There you go. <laughs> I don't know that's what, if yeah, that's what you meant. Totally but right. I, I, felt, I felt nice about that. Um, OK, I'll just read the next bit after the singing seals. and It's about um, walking and, and the weather. Tramping over the island... Waterproof trousers were often de rigueur and I was always shod in my walking boots. Normally, I didn't get my feet wet despite the odd, soggy bog. The weather could be a fierce challenge. One very rough day, it took me ten minutes to don my boots over trousers and Gore-Tex raincoat, not to mention stashing my heavily protected music books in the rucksack. Children made full use of their one-piece waterproofs and wellies on rainy days as they walked to school. And the first thing you would notice if you entered the school building were the wellies and waterproofs on pegs, benches and the floor. I was always impressed by the heroic, heroic tasks parents had to undertake just to clothe their young children for rough weather. An account of one such moment is described in the following poem. And I've got a poem that's called Wellies. Um, Waterproofs became a familiar sight during my regular visits to the school as a music teacher In the early years I discovered that regular piano tuition had never been available on Muck and after talking with many residents and the school teacher the idea was born of a project to offer some musical input to children and adults This was to include classroom music sessions individual lessons and another adult and an adult choir. I ran two five-week phases, the first in the spring of 2009 and the second in the summer of 2010. Both parts were of five weeks' duration. Lovely stuff. And again, I I think it's very visual writing. We get a real, you know, I can see those wellies on the pegs and I can see you struggling to get your, uh, your, (laughs) you know, your waterproofs over your Gore-Tex and your music books in. Talking of being a music teacher, we've, um, tell us about that aspect because there are songs in the book, Mm. which is quite unusual for a travel book, I think you could say, or a Mm. travel memoir to have scored songs at the back. Well, as I've just read, um, it started on muck, um, the idea... I don't know whether... I don't know how it came, except that I, I did discover that there wasn't any music tuition in the school. And I, my travels have, have indicated to me that in small schools, um, music uh, in primary schools is... Um, teachers generally are not terribly keen on singing with the kids. And I don't know quite why. But anyway, I thought, well, let's let's um, have a go. And um, you're asking about um, the 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 um, the sort of um, the, the the way that developed. Well, it started on Muck, 
I did all sorts of different types of music on Merck. But then when I went to other islands, I decided that I would take, that I would, uh, I don't know quite how the decision was made, but that I would um, take a folk tune from the, each of these five islands, a folk, so, sorry, a folk tale, mm. and write a song, and I, I would actually um, use the same tune for all the five schools. Mm. So that was lazy on my part. On the other hand, I had a foretaste, or I had a forethought, this was long before COVID, that maybe, just maybe, they might all get together at one point, the five different schools, by Skype or Zoom, mm. and learn each other's songs, and thereby learn each other's folk tales pertaining to the, to the school. Um, so that has never happened, as far as I know. Still could. It still could. Yes, it's all down here. And so the songs in the back of the book are, um, but are are songs that you've composed. I've composed the tune. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the words? Do you mean to a chip for all you? The words the and the tune. And the words and the tune. Fantastic. Yes. And you worked with a collaborator of mine, uh, yes. Richard Ormrod, yes. to bring these to fruition. Yes. Well, um, let's have a, a dead quick look. Um, Yes, as you can see from the appendix, all I've got is the actual treble part of the song. So mm. um, Richard hasn't... Um, I've not asked him to, to actually uh, arrange it. However, there is another song that you're referring to, which is called A Walk on the Isle of Muck. And I'm very proud of that, walk, that, that song because I wrote the tune and the words and Richard very very kindly arranged it for me and we um we've uh, we've rehearsed it. we've um recorded it and we're going to hear it now let's sing the song of the field of the fish trap the harbor of way the harbor of clams the The dark green shade of the bank of the Dockens. We'll pass the hollow of the balls of meal where salt rooted corn creaks, tears and breed, which leads to the bay of the brow of the hill, the inlet blasted by gannets and gulls. will be soothed by our singing seals hold on the red brown crow plus in the boise of the hill of the bellows and the spurs of the grey blue rock of turmoil we'll turn our backs on the whipping waves and stride inland from the northeast shore from the field of the crag to Macaskill's hillock, a stiff climb up to the hill of the herdsman. The trig points proud of its view of the coolin, the score of egg and rum's grim peak. You'll scramble up to the rock of Mare's Leap As we wearily trudge to our port more bothy A bird on his passage from Mull to Sky Deigns to descend to the harbour of willows This white-tailed eagle with a sunlit eye The harbour of way, the harbour of clams, the hill, the goat, the grassy lochan, the dark green shade of the fang of the dockens.
So you're listening to Love the Words on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre. I'm in Studio One uh, with Marg Greenwood, who's talking about her book, Return to Muck. And we just heard a song by Marg, written by Marg, um, and arranged with Richard Ormrod. That's right, yes, uh, arranged the, by Richard Ormrod. The fabulous Richard Ormrod. Yes. And, um, yeah, I, it had a real sort of vigour to that, and I, I really liked it. I can imagine you striding out across mm. the uh, Scottish moors. There's something about the Gaelic place names generally, which mm. is very... It's probably very not very well known, but in some Gaelic-speaking areas, there could be... Let's say the area of Seacroft, there could be something like 200, 300 place names. Mm. There may be a different place name every sort of 10 or 15 yards. And it, and some many of the place names actually refer to historical events like where the fishermen um, sat down on the rock to rest. So mm. the rock has got maybe a, a name like Resting Fisherman's Rock. That sort of thing. Fantastic, and I, and I, I mean, can I just put you on the spot? You probably know this, but I wonder what does the word muck mean? No, you don't put me on the spot because I do talk about it in the book very briefly. Um, M-U-C, uh, I believe, is the Gallic word for pig or sea pig. Now, sea pig could be a dolphin. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, I've forgotten. Don't worry. I thought it was also perhaps a whale. Oh, it could be. I, I read. I thought it was in your book. Oh well, uh, I thought it was <laughs> I in do your have book. A, not a very good memory. <laughs> Before we go on and hear another passage from the book, Mark, I was intrigued by a kind of um, a sort of Nostradamus character who who prophesied, uh, or you know, the aeroplanes in from the eighteen forties. It's in the book. Oh, in Tyree. Yeah. Yes. I've so, forgotten about that. Can you remind me, please? Yes. Uh, you you talk about the uh, the air base that yes. was there in the Second World War. is fascinating. Um, and you, there's a lovely description of you staggering about in the marshes, <laughs> not quite know, <laughs> knowing where you are, but then and then realising that was where... And there's lots of barbed wire, and then you realise why. And uh, you, you talk about a, a character who, in, a, in the 1850s, uh, I think it was, to, uh, sort of prophesied that in the future there would be metal um, birds steered... By yes. people. Yes. It would be a seer, what they call the seer, S-E-E-R, wouldn't it? I don't think I wrote extensively about this man, but I I do know, um, yeah, it does ring a bell. Well, it's fascinating. Mm. And again, people, listeners, if you want to read the book, we'll tell you where to get it. Yes. And you, you, if you want to know more, uh, you'll find out more in the book. But, Mark, yes, if you wouldn't mind, uh, read us another passage. OK. Um I want to I don't really want to boast about any dangers I had but there was one particular walk I did which was a walk across three islands I was on my own and it were, the walk had to be completed while it was um low tide right the islands in question are called the Monarch Islands hardly anybody has ever heard of them and it's page 214. I'll just read a bit of, of this. Um, th there, there are three islands in a row, if you like, west, middle, and then east. The west one, I can't say it in Gaelic very well, but it means west side, Kian Ya. And then the middle island is Shivanish, and the east island is Kian Ya. Different spelling. And we were plonked from the launch on the west side of the West Island, and we we said, and, and they said to us, "Well, I'll meet, we'll meet each other on the east side of the East Island," and everybody spread out. I didn't know anybody in in the group. I could have latched on to them, but I thought, "No, I'll know. You know, it'll be easy because they're small islands." I picked my way through the marram and tussocks, often two feet tall, on Kian Yar. Storms had caused a huge loss of soil and some of the marram grass had been deliberately planted to stabilise the soil. It was cut for thatching the houses, like on other islands. I made it to a trig point 19 metres high. The islands are low-lying, to get my bearings, and from then I was able to see where to drop down to Shivanish. 
the Middle Island. The monarchs were once joined to North Uist, and I talk here about Hamish Haswell Smith referring to a stretch of sand which was exposed at low water and which linked the entire group to North Uist around uh, about the 1600s. But I'm going to carry on here. Uh, walking over the sand from Kiania to Shivanish was uneventful. The sea seemed miles away, so that was the Middle Island I was walking across. It was easy enough picking my way around the shore of this very small island, but now and then I had to traverse rocky outcrops. But the tide was coming in. At the east end of Shivanish, I faced a tract of sand over to Kian Ia, but a racing torrent of incoming seawater sea had to be crossed. I noticed that all the other people in the group had crossed the torrent already and were dawdling on the other side. I took off my boots, dangled them from my hand and waded knee-deep to the other side. I spent 20 minutes cleaning and drying my feet and putting my boots on again, so I did make it. And then I go on to talk about something which I haven't mentioned to you yet, Peter, is that I, uh, uh, with my travels, I've, well, I have mentioned it vaguely, uh, I've come across some wonderful folk tales, and there's a lovely folk tale about a loch that I passed, but I didn't know the folk tale at the time. Should I, have I got time to just say it very quickly? Yeah. Well, apparently, there's this loch, which I remember, but I didn't know, obviously, I didn't know the history. It's called the Loch Nambuad, the Loch the Loch of the Virtues. It was regarded in the olden days as the abode of an evil water horse, which got up to nasty tricks. <laughs> the islanders were so afraid of the monster that they can... This was before the islands were abandoned. I'm sorry, I've failed to tell you that these are abandoned islands. Nobody lives there anymore. They, the islanders were, were they'd considered abandoning the, abandoning the island altogether. However, a certain islander, Mrs. McLeod, had been feeding up a powerful bull in the hope that one day he would overpower the water horse. She led her bull to the loch shore and he tore at the sod with hoof and horn until the water horse emerged and faced the bull. A vicious fight ensued, causing such an amount of spray a huge amount of spray, that the islanders couldn't see what was happening. Eventually, the commotion stopped and the next day a pair of lungs was seen floating in the water and no one could tell if they belonged to the bull or the water horse. But that was the end of both creatures and the islanders stayed. Fantastic. I love that. <laughs> what, there are other great folk tales in the book as well. Now, we've, we've, we've got another guest, Susan Darlington. Hello, Susan. Hi. Who's going to be reading poems in a minute. But before, So we're going to have to leave the book for the moment. But mm -hmm. before, uh, before we do leave, it would be great to hear how you get hold of the book. Oh, right. Now, I should have written that down. Um, you can... The easiest way, I suppose, for a lot of people... Well, one of the easiest ways is to get it from Amazon. Yep. You could... Um, there, there is... Um, I think I sent in... Did I, did I send some information about getting it from the publisher? Uh, who is... Who is Matador Troubadour. Yeah. Well, it's actually written down Troubadour. Troubadour, yeah. yeah. Um, and the cost of it is thirteen ninety nine. Or you can go into a bookshop and ask for it. If it's if they haven't got it in, they will get it for you and probably not po charge any postage. Order it from an independent bookseller so to support them. And it's a really lovely book. Thank it's you. I mean, it's full of folk tales, music, wonderful personal experiences of walking, encountering nature and people wherever you go. And it's a great compliment to books I've read about Scotland that I really enjoyed, like Sea Room by Adam Nicholson. Oh, yes, yes. Which is great. All it that chance of another uninhabited island. And also Madeline Bunting's yes, book. Yes, I've got that. Which yes. I very much like. And we once read one of her books all the way through the night for a, a readathon called really? it was called the plot and she okay. was very nice and did an interview with us but actually, i really enjoyed her book about the outer hebrides so a wonderful compliment i thoroughly recommend it. it's a lovely book return to muck by mark greenwood and we're going to ask you a bit later on when we finish the program to sing a song live here in the studio uh to to, to finish the program off but we'll keep that in store 
So, Susan, thanks for making it on the bus. And uh, <laughs> I know you couldn't make it for the beginning of the programme. It's very nice to have you here. And you've, we've had you on Love Words before and very much enjoyed uh, the poetry that you read. And you've got a new chapbook. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, uh, I've got a new chapbook out called Never Wear White, which is through the American publisher um, Alien Buddha Press. Um, it kind of combines elements of fairy tale with more real-life experiences that explore um, ideas of what it is to be a woman. Um, so it goes in very much a chronological order, starting out as being a child, moving into being a teenager, um, starting periods, exploring the dynamics of the kind of mother-daughter relationship, mm. and moving into adulthood and, and uh, notions of fertility, and kind of ends with an acknowledgement or a celebration almost of being child-free. Mm. Well, it's it's called Never Wear White, but I've, I mean, it's full of colour, <laughs> particularly the <laughs> colour red. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just noticing you, you've got a red microphone as well today. <laughs> <laughs> I think it must be some design here like that. It's at the cover on the microphone. Mm. But it's, it's yeah, it's, it's full of colour and a lot of blood in it, actually, and that sort of blood as in warm, living blood. They're very, they're very lively poems and mm. also some of them very, yeah, visceral. Um, but it would be, yeah, great to hear some of the poems, Susan. I mean, do, do you want to say anything, first of all, about um, its relationship to the last book, which seemed to be much more about nature, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, my last book, Chromotropic Heart, which I spoke with you about, mm. uh, which is available through Salicath Station, was, as you say, very much about nature and the healing properties of nature, which I think very much came out of lockdown and the experiences we were going through. Mm. Um, and writing a new collection... I very much wanted it to be different. So Traumatropic Heart was quite um, metaphorical. It drew on things like magic realism and gentle surrealism. And and so this time around, I wanted to challenge myself really as a writer, um, both in subject matter, but also in adopting a more direct style. Mm. Um, so a lot of the pieces in this book um, use the first-person narrator mm. um, and very much kind of strip away... All, all the ephemera, if you like, that was in the previous book to, mm. to as you say, become a lot more visceral and, and vivid in its imagery so that people are under no doubt whatsoever, really, about what I'm saying. You've turned it around pretty quick because I seem to remember you were only on about a year ago a reading from <laughs> the, 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 the recent the book before. So, you, yeah, did you write all these poems in the last year? Um, I think a lot of them, or maybe a quarter of them, were written alongside Traumatropic Heart. I found lockdown very, very productive. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, writers do seem to be one or, or the other way, yes. don't they? It's kind of people either were very productive or they just completely clammed up. Yeah. Um, and during that time, so I found I had quite a few which didn't fit into that book, which were in a very different style. Mm. Um, and I use that then as a starting point to really focus on those aspects of, of womanhood. Um, and I think there are a lot of things in the media with things like Sever Everard, um, personal changes within me, um, being diagnosed with early menopause, which made me really challenge uh, and question you know, who I was and where I was going. And I think all of those things are fed into this book. Great. Well, do read us a poem, if you would, if you've got one around. Yeah. Um, I will read for you um, Carrie which is loosely inspired by the Stephen King novel of the same title. I think many of us will remember the, the shower scene. Hopefully we don't have a, such traumatic experiences, but I think a lot of uh, young girls have mm. negative memories of doing PE at school around that time because it meant you know, being excused, which kind of felt like having a red mark on your forehead really, a kind of stigma, so it's, it's exploring that, really. I learn about the shame of a woman's body from my mother's handwritten notes. The ones I pass, red-faced, to my teacher that excuse me from showers and swimming. I stand at the edge of the echoing pool, flush under the stare of my classmates and imagine every laugh is aimed at me, humiliated by my exclusion. 
and worried that while I stand here, everyone can smell the iron of my blood, see the stain seeping into my skirt's fabric and dribbling down the inside of my thighs. There is no pride in womanhood here, no sisterly bond in the changing room when our pubescent bodies are revealed from under layers of baggy clothing, where every breastbud and roll of fat is scrutinised and found wanting, where pads and tampons are bad, not even needing them is worse. Steeped in lessons from Carrie, we fear becoming target of ridicule, are cruel and careless with our bodies as we absorb a shame we don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I say absolutely as a man, of course. It doesn't doesn't quite have the, the same ring as an absolutely from a woman. But, no, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that you know, it, yeah. it, it is obviously a woman's yeah. experiences, but I do want yeah. it very much to extend to men. Um, yeah. Re- reading yeah. it as well, I think it's uh, important for everyone really to be aware of these subjects. Well, absolutely, and actually, it did to be honest with you, because I think boys mm. have have a different have different shames around body, mm. but they're 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 very real, and I think yeah. those awful sort of you know sort of changing room uh, mm. experiences, I think we've all had, but uh, different, obviously, for mm-hmm. a boy. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's and yeah, there's a lot about your mother. In, in in the book, it's, it's I mean I suppose that's that's the obviously because it's about you growing mm-hmm. up and being a woman. I mean, is that uh, is she still around? Can I ask to to read the book to read the book? <laughs> <laughs> she is, and I would stress that obviously there are autobiographical elements in there. That's also. Uh, combined with elements of fiction. Yeah. My mother is a loving woman. <laughs> I have a very good relationship with her. I would like to stress that, despite uh, yeah. what may come across in the book. <laughs> but that's really interesting, though, isn't it? Because mm. although you are speaking in the I, it's not mm. complete a completely authorial vo- voice. And I mean, I think that's fascinating how it works in poetry, how we can write in different voices and sound like it's me, mm. you, but... It's mixed up with it with a kind of character. How does that work for you then? I mean, how does that is that something you intentionally did, or was it just something you did to disguise yourself and your real experience? I'm very interested in that. Um, probably a bit of both. I mean, I think I I am very interested in those sort of fairy tale elements, and mm. so many fairy stories, obviously, are from a female point of view, and it's often about a bad stepmother or a bad mother, and mm. and so some of those poems came very much from that perspective. Um, mm. Equally, there are a lot of um, genuine emotions in there and genuine experiences. I think personally, um, uh, uh, to make something relatable, I think it, there has to be something where it can't be too personal, uh, certainly in, in poetry. And so blending it to kind of make it more universal was something that I chose to do deliberately. Yeah, I think that's really interesting as well, how something can be... Um, can have human truth, if you like, an artistic mm. truth, but that isn't necessarily a personal truth. And I think, you know, I think maybe as writers, that's what we're we're looking for. I'm not particularly interested in talking about myself, but I'm yeah. interested in my experiences and as far as they relate to other people. <laughs> They're relatable to other, by from other people. Definitely. So uh, I think so. Sorry. Yeah, go on. Sorry, I think the, the the response that I've had to to a poem like Carrie, which I just read for you. Um, very much feed into what you're saying it's mm. you know i've had all of women coming up to me and saying that actually it was a brave poem or that it was a poem that um brought back memories for them or created some kind of um community almost for them because that was how they felt but it's something that they hadn't talked about before yeah. so suddenly having someone saying it actually for them was, was quite um opening you know quite yeah. quite a, a big moment absolutely mm. well let's hear another Poem, if if you'll, if you've, if you've got a few in that book to read, yeah, I'll um I'll read uh one of the more um fairy tale element ones just to have a bit of contrast. Um, so this one's called the unkindness, and it was very much based on things like Hansel and Gretel and things like that. I was twelve when Mother called me in from the woods, sat me on a kitchen chair and brushed my hair into braids. She told me I was now of age to stop childish games, that it was time I learned the unkindness of womanhood. Silenced, she cut off my plaits, wound them around her head, and affixed them with pins that made her scalp bleed. 
she kicked off the red stilettos in which I'd play acted seduction and ran into the darkening thicket without a backwards glance while my brothers fought over a plastic rifle in the yard and father slouched on the couch, one hand on the fly of his jeans. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, Mark, do you feel you're, you're in the room with us here. You're a writer, so if there's any, if you do feel free, if you if you went if you want to uh, to chip in. Thank you. <laughs> but that's again not to not to not to force you into a, an utterance. But you're I, well, I do relate very much to that first poem, but it took me right back to grammar school and the changing rooms mm. and the fact that um, in the summer our uniform was a pale blue and things seeped. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into too too much <laughs> detail there, but you can imagine. Yeah, I think so many young women can can relate to that. Yes, and it's, yes, it's such a definitely. big fear of, yes. of wearing those lighter colours. Yes, that's right. Mm. Mm. Anyway. I also, I'm sorry about the sun, Susan. You're on the radio, so uh, you're listening on the radio, but the, I'm just to describe. We've got the sun shining through our lovely stained glass here, but it's shining right in, shining right in your eyes. No, we, we don't get enough sunshine, so I'm more than happy to see it. <laughs> OK. Um, but, yes, I mean, and the, the, never wear white. Is that, that's, that's, is that a quote from one of the poems, or, or, or it's from somebody else's writing? Yeah, it's um, based on a... It's a line from a song by a riot girl band called um, Heavens to Betsy. Uh, and the song is called My Red Self, which I quote mm. um, briefly in the poem um, Sisters. Um, and the song is very much about, kind of what, what were we just saying, Marge, about um, the fear of, of a lot of women of wearing a certain colour in mm-hmm. case it does seep through, mm-hmm. so you never wear white. But mm. I like the double meaning as well of being kind of a... The, the bride in white, yeah. both of which th- seem to um, really fit in with the themes in the book. Yes, I think that's, does it have, there are those resonances, aren't there, of mm. the white, you know, the white bridal dress and white is pure, a sort of purity mm. associated mm-hmm. with whiteness in some cultures and uh, and also virginity, I suppose, mm-hmm. so all that stuff. Mm. And also the, some of some of what you've been reading reminded me of a Joni Mitchell song actually called "Song for Sharon." Do you know that? I don't know it's, that one. Yeah, no, but to be on compared to Journey Mitchell, I'm very flattered. So I would well, kill for an ounce please, of her please, talent. Please, <laughs> please take that. It's a fair comparison. No, it's it's a, it's a it, I think it's a great song about about marriage, really, and about being. In fact, it ties in rather with what you were talking about about being being a solo person, flying mm-hmm. solo, travelling on your own, and being uh, being a, being singular, mm-hmm. but also. Um, yeah, the tension between that and wanting to to join, to be, and then she talks about the colour white, mm-hmm. the white dress. Um, well, would you mind reading that that poem you've you've been talking about, the one that that refers to never wear white? Uh, yeah, mm. yeah. It's uh, called Sisters. Yeah, I really like that. Um, and it's kind of based on a memory of um, friendship. I, I think. Sometimes we uh, ignore in culture, I think, the value of female friendship. So it's very much about that and changing. Bodies changing, but also empowerment. It was the summer we made a pinky promise to always be sisters. Afternoons spent locked in our bedrooms. We bloomed from schoolgirls into goddesses with our knee-high socks, vintage camisoles and gloops of lipstick in the darkest plums and reds. It was the colour of menstrual blood. It was the colour of power. We used it to ride slut down our arms and witch across our bellies, marvelled at how liberated we were as we sang to our favourite records. Never wear white or your shame will creep through. Knowing that in those vinyl grooves there was the possibility of change. Mm. Yeah, lovely. Also, I I know talking about friendship, um, there's a really interesting poem that I very much liked about um, about the death of somebody, about the death of a friend, mm. um, which I found moving and also very truthful, um, particularly in the latter part of it. Mm. You wouldn't mind reading that, would you? Is it or do do say if you don't want to read a particular poem? Yeah, I mean, I, 
I haven't actually read this one before, so it's really interesting that you've you've picked up on that one because it probably is the most personal in in many ways in in the entire book. Um, as you say, it is based on uh, a friendship that I had at school. Um, we lost touch, um, and when I heard of her death, um, given that she was exactly the same age as me, um, it really made me reflect on on that friendship and and yeah. M- what could have been, I guess. So it's called Sarah. Time telescopes when I hear of your death. All those years, I could only remember the betrayals. When you stood by and watched as your friend hit me until I bruised Violet. Avoiding eye contact and keeping quiet, even when I crashed to the ground. Or when you moved in with the man you'd said nothing about, and still said nothing about when he cheated on you nursing your heart in the silence of my ignorance. At the end of the lens I realised that twinned as we were by our milk bottle glasses and hair that fell out of ponytails, no matter how many grips we used. You were always one fixed grin away from acceptance. Afraid you'd be judged as a free school meal kid. Worried that people would discover the eviction notice your family was served when your dad received treatment in the hospital where, years later, He'd grieve your loss. Over this distance, I see that although we were friends of convenience, there was still love in the post-school walks when we shared headphones to listen to your mum's tapes and talked on the landline for the free hour, no more, without ever once acknowledging the slights we felt. And I wish you were here so that I could say sorry. I never really knew you, and that although we drifted apart, I barely even noticed your absence until now. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Never noticed your absence until now. Yes, I thought I found that very, very poignant indeed. So thank you very much, Susan. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us where we can get hold of the book. And is it an American publisher? You say it's an American <coughs> publisher called um, Alien Buddha Press. Yeah. So it's available on the corporate monolith that is Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, um, I'm, you, it. Yeah, we'll get a copy somehow of for, for the library uh, outside, and people can, if they come to Chapel mm. FM, they can have a look at the work of Susan uh, Susan Darlington with that with the, her new book, um, Never Wear White. So thanks ever so much for coming in, oh. and also Mark for coming in um, to, uh, to mm. read from Return from Muck. And to finish off, because Toby, who's been teching I love the words brilliantly uh, for the first time has his own show coming up very shortly. So so stay tuned uh, for the end of this show, till the end of this show, that will come on. But, yeah, if you've got a song for us, Mark, to finish us off, that would be brilliant. Well, would you mind if I kind of skipped one or two verses? And and, um, I am apologising for my voice because it's not as good as it uh, normally is. This is the song of the ringing stone. On Tyree, there's a stone that if you tap the cup marks, a bit like on Ilkley Moor, you've got cup marks. On the Tyree stone, you tap the cup marks, and if you're lucky, you get uh, not a noise, but a note. (laughs) And I taught this to the children in the school... And so the story goes, uh, well, the chorus is this. Pick up a pebble and give me a tap. Is it a noise or is it a note? Keep striking the stone. Put your ear to the cup marks and pull down your hood. You'll hear a dull thud. So that's the chorus, the beginning chorus. When you, uh, you, you, to begin with, you just hear a thud when you tap the stone with the pebble. Then the next two verses. Well, I'll I'll just um, I'll just sing the the next verse, and then I'll go to the last chorus, and I'll tell you what happens happened in the school. So this is the the stone actually singing, uh, or or telling the story. I sailed on the ice from the island of Mull. I landed near Foil on the Isle of Tyree. Ten thousand years I've been lying alone. They've come and they've gone and they've all had a go. Pick up a pebble and give me a tap. You see, and you put your ear to the cup mark and pull down your hood and you'll hear a dull thud. However, 
Verse 4. Don't but don't give up hope, keep striking the stone. Is it a knock or is it a note? Try tapping around the rim of each cup. Be patient and calm and you'll soon be in luck. <laughs> so pick up a pebble and give me a tap. Is it a noise or is it a note? Keep striking the stone. Put your ear to the cup marks and listen to me. You'll hear the note G. And G is the note that it makes. And I had, um, I taught this to the children in the song, uh, in, in the school, and they played the G with their glockenspiels and their xylophones to reinforce the, the genus. <laughs> Lovely. That's great. I like I'm sorry it. my voice is, is Don't not... Don't worry um, at all. Yeah, Don't worry. It's funny. It's got. It's, it's Richard would say it has character. <laughs> Richard Allrod, our musical friend. That's uh, what he says about is. my voice, which I never know how, quite how to take. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that, and I love. I think it's a bit of a metaphor. The idea of the stone, the singing stone, and you know, keep striking the stone. Mm. And sometimes we sort of, you know, when you start writing about something, you think, well, is it a stone? Is it going to sing? Mm. But the main thing is we we need to keep striking the stone, don't we? Uh, and that's what you've done this afternoon. <laughs> so thanks very much for that. And yes, you can get hold of this both books uh, on Amazon, but also uh, get get them from an independent bookshop. I'm sure that's far better for the world. Don't forget that on the 29th of October, there is a performance by Leila Josephine, a poet who from Scotland who's fantastic. She's won all sorts of prizes and is, a, is also a really interesting person. She's doing a workshop oh, yeah. on the same afternoon, Saturday afternoon, 4pm, which is called Making Friends with Failure, which is all about our, um, our kind of misfires in writing and in poetry and how we use them, which I think would be fascinating. So do the, 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 the workshop is free. You just have to go to the um, Eventbrite on the website and sign up, and the, the gig is £3. I don't think that could be better than anywhere in Leeds. So thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Um, You've been listening to Love the Words on East Leeds FM. Love the control. Love the command. Love the spacebar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Oh,